so that's really exciting to really bring all of this together and come back to nurses and helping professionals, doctors, social workers um, with an opportunity of something different and to, and to collectively recognize that we are really grappling with something that is harming us. What happens when a master's prepared oncology nurse and expert on the science of play pivots, enters a doctoral program, designs her own original research, earns a PhD in psychology, and takes her life's work even further? Let's talk all about it with my dear friend and colleague, Caroline Cardenas, right here on episode 380 of The Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. This podcast is, of course, all about you, your personal professional development, your nursing and healthcare career, and the healthcare system as a whole. And I'm here to share education, ideas, frequent diatribes, and informative interviews like today's with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, entrepreneurship, medicine, and beyond. I love having you along for the ride. And I thank you from the bottom of my nurse podcaster's heart for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. And if you'd like to do me a solid and help other people find the show, consider leaving a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere else you happen to find the show. And consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith. I really appreciate my patrons and anyone who wants to leave a rating and review and also listen to the show like you're doing right now. Please head over to nursekeith.com to find the show notes for this episode in the podcast drop-down menu. And we are here today with my very, very dear friend and colleague here on the show for the second time, Caroline Cardenas. And Caroline, I'm so, so happy to have you here. And the first thing I want to say is that just a day or two ago, I attended virtually by Zoom your defense of your dissertation. And the first thing I want to say is congratulations on finishing your PhD. And what does it feel like to finish a PhD? It feels pretty monumental. It's a dream come true. It's a, yeah. I can't believe it that I've made it here. I, I just looked up the statistics recently of how the you know, amount of people in the United States that um, have a PhD and it's less than 2%. And it's less than that in Latina women. Wow. Okay. And how many years did it take you to finish? Like from start till now, how many years has it been? So it was six years. Um, total. It was four years of coursework. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, within the last year of coursework is when I started to write my dissertation, but my dissertation overall took about three years to write, uh, 423 pages later, including mm -hmm. front and back matter. <laughs> mm -hmm. I have it here on my laptop too. Mm -hmm. And I've read quite a bit of it. I'm going to read the whole thing eventually, but I've read a, a bunch of it and it's it's beautifully written and it's really incredible research, which we're going to get into and has to do with nurses and healthcare professionals. So last time you were on the show was like April or May of 2020. It was a bonus episode all about cultivating play in terms of 
preventing compassion fatigue and burnout in nurses and healthcare providers. And that was like within the first few months of the pandemic beginning. So the timing was pretty amazing to have you on the show and talk about that. And one of the triggers for talking about play was that you had done your master's thesis on play. Can you describe briefly, because I want to spend more time on your dissertation, but can you tell us about the master's thesis and like how it all came about? So I was uh, attending Walden University, um, going towards my master's of science in nursing, um, specializing in education. And I was working in the infusion center at um, the University of San Diego, California, um, and I was, I was personally experiencing burnout and compassion fatigue. And at the same time, uh, what I was doing to, uh, to really replenish my sense of self and my joy um, and really find, really fill up my cup um, so that I can continue to m- meet the moment and being a very good and caring and compassionate nurse in the infusion center to my cancer patients as I was hula hooping. Um, that was my form of play. And, um, and I, um, was really experiencing a lot of joy hula hooping where I lived in wind and sea in La Jolla, California, mm-hmm. and watching the, sur- the surfers and the sunset as I hula hooped on the rock. And, um, and so the community really started asking me questions about that and why am I hula hooping? They started calling me the hula hoop girl, um, and I had a professor, um, named Dr. Anna Valdez who was part of my capstone um, courses. And at first I was a bit afraid to bring forward a particular idea that I was really passionate about. Um, I didn't feel inspired or passionate to write uh, my master's thesis on like blood pressure or pain management, or, I mean, that, that just didn't inspire me, but it did. I, I love that it inspires others. Um, but what was really alive for me was this um, real issue that I, I not only was experiencing personally, but I also noticed that it was that my colleagues were experiencing and that it was, there was compassion, fatigue, and burnout um, that were really occupational hazards within our profession. So I remember calling my, uh, asking or requesting a phone call with my professor to see if she would actually be okay with me, with my idea about writing my master's thesis on hoop dancing to prevent burnout and compassion fatigue among nurses. And what I thought was so beautiful was that she was really a safe, safe person. She was excited. Um, She um, expressed her, her support. And that opened up um, the doors for my creativity to soar and to feel empowered uh, to really dive into uh, these concepts of burnout and compassion fatigue in nursing and the symptoms and the negative effects that it that it causes on a physical, emotional, and psychological level for nurses and their that can extend out to their family members. Um, but also, I really wanted to look at hula hooping and the experiential process of play. So it's really finding my way at that time. Um, in terms of what I was looking at. And I, um, I had another mentor who was a Walden graduate as well, who um, 
was the head of, of holding a, an annual retreat for nurses in San Diego. And um, it was coming up for the annual retreat. And she said, well, why don't you um, do your master's thesis at the retreat? And so she gave me an opportunity to guide nurses um, through a hula hoop experience um, and share within the group what they felt after engaging in hula hooping and what their feelings were around these occupational uh, hazards of burnout and compassion fatigue. And if they did feel that they're, uh, that, that, uh, if they felt better overall after engaging in the experiential process of play through hula hooping. Yeah. And this, your thesis, I mean, you, you, you completed it, you graduated, you had your MSN. It was published in the Journal of Emergency Nursing, right? It was published in the Journal of Emergency Nursing, yeah. and it was also published in the UCSD Nursing Journal as well. That's right. So it was published twice. So you carried that forward and, you know, your renown as the hula hoop girl and, you know, your YouTube videos and the work you did with nurses. I mean, it all makes sense about who you are, where you came from, what you were bringing forward. And, you know, you also have this history of your mom dying of breast cancer at the age of 47 when you were 21. Mm -hmm. And here you were working with women with breast cancer. And mm -hmm. I bet there's a lot of nurses out there who have um, followed a similar path where sort of like the, the source of their deepest grief becomes the place they go. Mm -hmm. And just to touch on this for a second, do you, what do you feel and think about this notion of how, when there's something deep in our psyche or in our body that we've experienced, and then our, we, we make a career and life choice that brings us in further contact with it. What is, what do you think that's about? You know? Well, um, when, First of all, our, our lived experiences shape us. Mm -hmm. um, we can't undo our lived experiences. And, you know, our experiences of joy and our experiences of, of deep grief or sorrow are, you know, quite ship -shape shaping for us um, um, as we journey through life. And um, when we have a personal experience with a loved one um, that is going through an illness, um, and we're shaped by that. Many of us become inspired to want to help soothe the suffering of those who will unfortunately go through illnesses um, and need treatment for that. And uh, many of us uh, feel called, um, which is, it's interesting because one of the things that I wrote about in my dissertation was um, the root word of vocation, um, which means um, voice. Um, and it's really like locating your own voice and your place in this world and what you have to contribute. Um, and so our, our vocation is really about what we want to contribute that has more to do than just ourselves, but has to do with contributing to the collective. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I can say in general in nursing is that we are caring, kind, and compassionate beings who wish to soothe the suffering of those we care for, who long to soothe their suffering. 
Um, so I, I, it's a call to action when we have loved ones um, or friends that we know that go through where we witness the healthcare system. Um, we go through it with them. We, we see what works. We see what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And we want to participate in um, solutions. We want to participate in, in making it better, not just patients, but also healthcare system as a whole. So I think that's, you know, that it's a calling, you know, it it calls to us in some deep way. And, you know, having experienced my mother's death at a very young age um, was, is, is a, is a, is a burning passion inside of me that will never go away. It's, it, it's something that is deeply painful and deeply inspiring in terms of really, um, uh, helping me understand that's, you know, there's a person that is loved by others standing before me, you know, just like my mother, right. And mm-hmm. who was loved by me and my, my siblings and friends and family. Um, and there's a longing to want to make sure that you're doing everything that you can to help soothe their emotional, psychological, social, financial, physical suffering. Yeah. And at the very beginning or very close to the beginning of your last appearance on this show, when you were talking about yourself as a nurse, you said, I'm a loving nurse. Like that was the first thing you said to describe yourself as a nurse. Mm -hmm. And I bet a lot of people related to that. You know, you said, I'm a loving nurse. You know, yeah. that, I, I think that's pretty common among most, most of us or many of us. Right. And isn't it interesting that in nursing school, I would say just in general, and I don't remember in this ever being talked about in nursing school is the mm-hmm. concept of love and no. the concept of <laughs> compassion. Compassion, maybe. Um, love, no. I, I don't remember that word really being bandied about very much mm-hmm. you know? right it's such a it's such a hard thing to de- to describe and to define yeah. and because it's such a subjective mm-hmm. experience right poets for eons have tried to yeah. harness a definition of love but but loving compassionate caring kind um and i would even add to to that is um you know, I'm a, I'm a nurse who pays attention to the subtleties and the overt um, things that are going on in the field, in when the field and the environment. Right. When you say the field, you mean sort of like the, the energetic field or where you find yourself in the moment. Yeah. And I yeah. think I have a, a gift of sensitivity to be able to sense what's happening in the field. So I, if I'm, you know, when I used to work in hospice, I'm stepping into a person's home mm-hmm. who, and, you know, assisting the patient and the family members through the death and dying process. Mm-hmm. I'm stepping in into the field mm-hmm. of the psychology of the patient, of the, of the, the dynamics of the family. Yeah. Of, um, and so there's a field there um, I, that I'm stepping I've known into. known it well myself. Right? Yeah. In right. hospice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Now, okay. So we're talking about love. We're talking about compassion. We're talking about humanity, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I mean, you and I could talk about stuff for hours. Um, um, so let me just pivot here really quickly that you just finished your PhD, right? And I, I attended your defense, which was really 
an honor and I'm just so incredibly proud of you. And it was, it was a beautiful conversation and, you know, people cried, you know, so it was not just you either. So it was, it was really quite an experience. And what I want to point out first is that this is not a PhD in nursing. So you're speaking of pivoting, you're in the middle of somewhat of a career pivot. And so Mm -hmm. this is a career podcast ostensibly. So you're going to have a PhD in fill in the blank. Yeah. in psychology. So it's a, it's a doctorate of philosophy in psychology. Right. And this is from Meridian University in California. Correct. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. And what does it mean to have taken your master's thesis and your life's work, right? And all this love and compassion and, you know, understanding of nurses and healthcare and patients and suffering. I mean, it's like all this stuff, like you've been you've been layering and layering in your psyche, right? And in your body and in your, the ways in which you approach the world. What does it mean to now have taken it to this level? Like we call this a terminal degree, even though you could get another one if you wanted to. (laughs) You're shaking your head. Yeah. So (laughs) we consider it a terminal degree. Like this is the highest you can go in education. And You're one of very, very few, as you mentioned, Latina women to actually get a PhD. And it's only 2% of the population anyway. So tell me, just share, like, what does it mean to you to have achieved this? Like, what, what does it feel like? And just where, where do you find yourself in yourself now, knowing that you've done this? Well, it's this work is incredibly meaningful to me because what I've come to learn, well, I, I think I would sort of preface all of this by in the hula hoop play workshops that I was offering to nurses, to healthcare professionals over the years at re- nurses retreats and also at the retreat that I held in the Big Island in depth in 2018. It was a seven-day retreat um, where it was all adults and we were taking various hula hoop workshops and I produced it and um, held a a workshop and helped to guide it and all of that. I was really noticing the incredible transformations that were happening in, um, in adult players through the experiential process of play. And I became more and more curious about this phenomenon of play uh, because I witnessed these personal and professional transformations within the students that came, kept coming to my, you know, twice a month classes that I would hold in La Jolla, California and the retreats. And, and I, I, I just, I really felt compelled I felt really inspired and I also felt really drawn to understanding this. What is it about the phenomenon of play that helps to transform an adult? What is play? How do you define it? Um, You know, why does it inspire and transform individuals? Um, And so I was starting to get a bit, I would say, so I had my master's of science in nursing I was soon after I graduated with my with my master's of science in nursing. I uh, was hired into a breast 
um, in a surgical, as a nurse case manager in breast surgical oncology outpatient. And I really was taking their educational material and building it, doing all these things, these creative projects. And I like to be challenged and I like to have creativity and I, um, and I love to help patients and I helped, I love to keep team morale up and encourage and mentor and all of that. But I was after about, I would say three years of my MSN degree, I started to get a little bit like I'm getting a little bit bored. I need to be challenged a little bit more. I'm curious about this love of play that I have on the side going on with my full-time job as an oncology nurse. And I want to take this to new heights. And, um, and so Stuart Brown, Dr. Stuart Brown's work was really uh, calling me his research, um, his TED talk on, uh, on play um, and the value of it and its importance from a biological standpoint. I still hadn't sort of developed a way to articulate the profundity of play and really what, what it is. So I wanted to dive deep into it. And I said, I, I, I just decided that I was going to go after my PhD. I felt like as a Latina woman in the United States with a master's of science in nursing, it was good and mm -hmm. it was great, but I was ready for the next, I was ready for the next level of being able to bring this work forward to actually marry my work in from a personal and professional standpoint and really just make it one. Mm. Um, and I wanted to help people understand, particularly adults, the value of play. Yeah. Um, and what's so beautiful about Meridian University is that um, they teach imaginal psychology and imaginal psychology um, utilizes the old Greek translation of psyche to mean soul. Mm. So it's not, you know, the mind as we in our contemporary or our postmodern Western culture tends to view mm -hmm. mental health and psychology, right? Um, it's the story of psyche and yeah, eros, right? Yeah. Exactly, right? Yeah. That, that myth story. And so mm -hmm. to mean soul. And so drawing from ancient knowledge expressed within the modern world, imaginal psychology's primary concern is reclamation of the soul for the sake of enabling a depth of understanding to the social and cultural problems and concerns of our times. Hmm. And so it's really about um, building um, people's capacities within and looking at the imagination as one of our most powerful capacities. And when we think about soul, we think, well, how is soul? What, what do you mean soul? Do you mean spirit? Do you mean, what is soul? I don't believe in a soul. Well, it, you know, Thomas More defines soul as not a thing, but a quality or a dimension of experiencing life and others. And it has to do with depth, value, relatedness, heart, and personal substance. And Bill Plotkin, um, he describes soul as one's ultimate place in the world, the source of one's deepest personal joy and fulfillment and utmost service to others. So I looked at Meridian University's, you know, uh, imaginal psychology um, and thought to myself, this is perfect for what I want to write my dissertation on. I want to write my dissertation on the phenomenon of play. And so what better place to do that? Um, and Aftab Omer, Dr. Aftab Omer is the president of Meridian University, who was also part of my dissertation project committee, says that soul lives within the realm of experience and soul expresses itself through image. And this was really all about guiding people through an experiential process 
um, to see what soul has to say about it in the expression of image. Um, and so we utilized his methodology of it's called imaginal inquiry. And we can dive into that a little bit. I'm going to go back to your question because I'm prefacing all of this with um, answering your question of really what this means to me. Um, you know, soul expresses itself through myth, metaphor, and poetry. Um, and so uh, I really wanted to go to write my dissertation on this phenomenon of play and look at these occupational, this particular occupational hazard of compassion fatigue and what it means and what play can do for helping professionals that are experiencing compassion fatigue. Specifically um, healthcare professionals. Specifically, specifically. Any, yeah. Anybody who works in, um, in healthcare serving people. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, um, and, and so in particular, um, you know, the participants within my study were e- exhibiting symptoms of compassion fatigue. So I never disclosed that I was looking for nurses who were experiencing compassion fatigue. Um, but in my questioning of allowing them to then participate in my research, I noticed that they were all exhibiting symptoms of compassion fatigue. We had a dietitian, we had a licensed clinical social worker, I had a psychologist, um, nurses, um, and um, and really step into um, guiding them through an experiential process of play um, through hula hooping. And so it was really, I had an opportunity to be able to marry my love of work for the work I do in grief, the work I do in um, compassion, the work I do in understanding compassion fatigue and its negative effects on on healthcare professionals. Mm. And how can we think about caring for our healthcare professionals and encouraging healthcare professionals to engage in something that helps to uh, restore them so that they can not just recognize that they might be experiencing compassion fatigue, but also recognize that they are always going to be at risk for it. Um, what compassion fatigue is, how it negatively affects healthcare professionals and how that extends out into their family, um, how that is detrimental to the healthcare system, to patient care, um, quality of life for the, for the healthcare professional. And I, the list goes on and on. Yeah. Um, so I really wanted to marry these, this work that I have been doing that I sort of kept separate in some way. Mm-hmm. So what does this all mean for me? Well, I guess in this moment in time, I can tell you that I believe in myself, that I believe in my unique abilities um, that I have this vehicle of of this body to be able to let this work, you know, live through me and that I have the training um, to understand that in the work of psychology, you can really in an unconscious way and even conscious way cause harm. And so it's very, very important at least for me, because in working in the, in the realm of, of breast cancer, I had patients that were either seeking cure or they were, you know, at the end of their life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're working with patients who are experiencing fear, you're stepping into the realm of psychology. And I 
you know, we get a few courses in nursing on psychology. Right. We, you, we get, you know, yeah, prereqs. And then maybe we might have a professor who kind of has that kind of bent. Right. 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 Yeah. And, and, you know, but I, I was doing a lot of work in psychology mm-hmm. um, with my cancer patients. And I think a lot of oncology nurses and even hospice nurses can relate to what I'm saying mm-hmm. that, you know, you're, you're working in the realm of, of grief and meaning and, and loss and what that means for the patient and their family members and looking back at their lives and fear and compassion and how we take all of this that we witness as nurses and, and become informed by it in a way that empowers us so that we can continue to do the, the, the work. Um, so, so it's meaningful to me that I, you know, cause I didn't want to go and get a doctorate in nursing. I had my master's and I felt that that was enough mm-hmm. for me um, because I could teach with a master's somewhat um, depending on the school. Um, I could work in the healthcare setting. And if I got my PhD in nursing, I could teach nursing or I could in an academic institution, or I could be, you know, a doctor in nursing practice and be a, a leader within the healthcare system. And I really wasn't interested. It didn't inspire me to, to go in that direction. I really Mm -hmm. was interested in what was happening in the psychological space of both play, joy, well, not both, of play, joy, and grief. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are the spaces in which you've been doing your work for a long time in oncology and then around your master's thesis and, you know, all the work you've done personally, you know, since your mom died, which was, 21 years ago and she died when you were 21. So, I mean, it's been sort of like this thread through more than a thread. I mean, it's been a theme throughout your life, right? And it led you into nursing. And when we come back from the break, what I want to do first is I want to talk about, you know, because people listening, especially nurses might be like, oh, so, so Caroline decided to get a PhD in psychology and not in nursing. So what does that mean? Like, what does it mean when a nurse pursues a higher degree and it's not in nursing? Like, what does it mean to their nurseness and their identity? So are you cool with coming back and first diving into that? And then some more about your work and your future and a little bit more about the dissertation? Absolutely. Okay. So please hang in there with us. We will be right back with the second half of episode 380 of the Nurse Keith Show with my dear friend, Caroline Cardenas. And welcome back to the second half of the episode. We're here again on episode 380 with friend of the pod and my very, very dear friend, Caroline Cardenas. Caroline, prior to the break, we were discussing, uh, you know, terminal degrees and um, what it means and the work you've done on yourself and in your professional life, you know, all these decades, actually, that led you to this point, to this moment. And, you know, we all get led to where we need to be when it happens, right? We all have our path and your path has led you to elect after you've 
gotten a master's of science in nursing, which was a great accomplishment and an amazing master's thesis that got published twice to move into the realms of psychology and get a PhD in psychology, which you will have very soon. And I really want to know when I can call you doctor. Um, We'll get to that. But just apropos of what we said right before the break, how does it impact your identity and your, I'm putting big quotes around this, around this, your nurseness to now pivoting into the the world and the, the profession of psychology and to have a terminal degree in something other than nursing? What's the deeper meaning of that? And how does, how does that feel? Because that's a pivot. That's a big change. It is, but it also feels like it's where my my soul has been calling me towards. You know, I remember when my mom was dying, I said to her, mom, I'm going to become a nurse. And my mom was a nurse and she was, you know, she was on her O2 and things were headed in the direction of respiratory distress soon. And she looked at me and said, you can be anything you want. And at the time I was really upset with her because I wanted her to validate me in becoming a nurse. But here I am 21 years later after her her, you know, the anniversary of her death was July 10th. She died in 2001. I was 21 at the time. And now here I am 21 years later. Mm. And I'm so grateful that she handed me that gift because we're always growing and sort of our voice calls us to certain places in the way that we're shaped. And she really handed me a gift of giving me permission, giving myself permission to continue to grow and to continue to go towards that which is calling me. And because I was working in the realm of play and working in the realm of oncology and um, death and dying and fear and, and in the healthcare system. So the realities of what we were sort of working with within systems and then creating these play spaces for adults to come and play and noticing these emotional experiences that they were having and witnessing my colleagues experience compassion fatigue and burnout and recognizing that the system, the healthcare system was really wasn't doing much of anything to either acknowledge it or or encourage us as nurses to do much about it other than you need to do more self-care which is take a bath yeah you know it's like all these Mm -hmm. to-do lists right Mm -hmm. Um, right yeah and so I you know I always say once a nurse always a nurse Mm -hmm. so you know it's part of my identity Um, I will always be a nurse. In fact, I'm licensed in the state of Hawaii and California still. I Mm -hmm. still keep my nursing license active. I still come to people as a nurse. I still Mm -hmm. utilize my nurse training um, Mm -hmm. to take care of my family, of my friends, and of anybody in the moment that I encounter that might need um, assistance. Um, Because I got to tell you that when you pivot, into a different discipline, which still remains under the umbrella of 
healthcare to a certain degree, right? And the helping um, professions. Yeah, helping professionals. Yeah. Um, you take it with you. Mm-hmm. You bring everything, all of your capacities, all of your skill sets, everything that you've experienced. You know, some of us, you know, when we leave the bedside and go into outpatient or become a home health nurse or work in management or leadership, feel like we're going to lose our IV skills. We're going to forget how to do X, Y, and Z, but we don't. It comes right back to us. Mm-hmm. You know, we have so much memory in the body. And sometimes we forget all that we've been through and all that has shaped us until that moment comes and we're called to bring our capacities forward. So I bring all of that with me. And what's so beautiful about all of this is that now what I'm doing um, is I'm helping the helping professionals that are helping people. And that's incredibly important for me because I am, I'm a nurse. So I'm one of you and I'm not coming from another place who has no idea what it's like to be a nurse or who should feel right. Right. Coming in and saying Mm -hmm. you're experiencing compassion fatigue. Well, this is what you should do. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, I come from it from a really grassroots place. I'm, I'm one of you, I'm a nurse Mm -hmm. and I know exactly what happens when you're taking care of patients. I know the dynamics. I've personally experienced burnout, compassion, fatigue, lateral violence, bullying. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, um, I used to fantasize about leaving the nursing profession because I just didn't know how much longer I could continue experiencing the symptoms of burnout and compassion fatigue. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and so for me, it's really meaningful to be able to take everything that I've been through um, and to help really call attention to this occupational hazard of compassion fatigue that all helping professionals are at risk for and bring forward something that is fun, something that is exciting um, as an experience for nurses and other helping professionals to understand the value of play and its transformative potential Hmm. rather than coming at it from a conceptual point of view. Yeah. I come at it through an experiential Yeah, because for me, it's really important to protect the space because play is a very intimate process. Mm -hmm. And I would say it's a very sacred experience because in within the experiential process of play, we locate the self we actually realize the self and we replenish our joy. Our joy is evoked. Um, and we are able to really dive or, or, or um, connect with our imagination, build our imaginal capacity, express our unique creativity. Um, and, you know, and really, um, build our capacities through the, through the laboratory of play. Right. And so, um, so that's really exciting to really bring all of this together and come back to nurses and helping professionals, doctors, social workers um, with an opportunity of something different mm-hmm. and to, and to collectively recognize that we are really grappling with something that is harming us. 
Right. And here we are, you know, deep into a, uh, uh, what would you call it? Um, an existential crisis mm-hmm. around the world that's more than two years old now, you know, the pandemic. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of people listening know exactly what you're talking about. And someone listening might be thinking, okay, so Caroline's been a nurse, oncology, et cetera. And then they think, okay, the hula hoops play, um, you know, the, the thesis, the dissertation, and you want to bring it back now. And you saw it in your research, you know, when you had people doing these experiences and then reflecting on them, and you have a lot of that reflection, you know, written into your dissertation, of course. But someone might be asking, and I'm asking too, like, what do you now picture doing with it? Like, do you picture doing, is it one-on-one? Do you want to work with people as a therapist? Or do you want to work with groups? Do you want to bring this to like, really big organizations or is it all the above and things I'm not even thinking of mentioning? Yeah. Some things that's so really beautiful is like you follow this thread of your, of your soul longing to go in a direction or it doesn't necessarily make sense to people at first, mm-hmm. you know, um, is, is that it somehow yields just this, these places in which you never even knew you'd, you'd be, or you maybe imagined it, but thought, nah, maybe not, you know, but it's, it's happening already. Um, I am teaching virtual and in-person or I'm guiding. I would say I'm a, I'm a play guide. I'm a, a play therapist for adults and, um, and I'm guiding experiential processes through play um, for example, for Stanford university staff and faculty be well program. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I taught that virtually, um, and, you know, I guide the experiential process of play and then bring in the conceptual understanding of what play is, um, and talk about play and its connection to our emotional and psychological well-being and why that's important. Um, I also, uh, several months ago taught uh, one of my virtual play workshops for um, the community of practice leaders that work for the um, foster youth um, uh, through the Annie E. Casey Foundation. Um, and these community of practice leaders are working with foster youth that, um, you know, th- it's important for them to be able to understand the value of play. So I guided them through an experiential process to, and we have a discussion around it um, about what's evoked in them and what they what they, what's, what's emerged for them in terms of um, like what's come forward from, mm-hmm. from that experiential process. Um, Walden University has recently um, requested that I um, hold um, my play workshops for their hospital partners, uh, for nurses. So that's going to be coming in the fall. And um, I, I'm also going to be teaching or guiding an experiential process through play at the Michigan Health Council uh, uh, Nurses com- nursing conference in October with you. I'll be there, right? Yeah, yeah we'll yeah. both be presenting. So it's so it's happening, and mm-hmm. and I I I, you know, my work is, and I'm realizing this more and more. I really love one on one, and I absolutely do love groups. Um, mm-hmm. So I love working in the realm of group process and really bringing this forward and seeing the amplification of. Um, you know, what the group, what happens within the group, 
you know? Um, uh, so I, I, I would say that um, I'm doing it now and I'm going to continue to forge ahead and doing it. Um, you know, there's this, I find this work not only to be relevant, but also incredibly important. Um, but I'm more in, 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 in the work of the experience of it um, to help yeah. people understand. Um, so, so yeah, I think, I think I That's, answered your question. Yeah, what, what I'm seeing from this is like, speaking, presenting, yes. I, I bet you writing books, um, doing interviews, um, working maybe, you know, as a consultant in organizations like any Casey, you know, the, these things you're doing, working with Walden University's partners, you know, whatever that happens to be. So I'm picturing all of this and, you know, a PhD, you know, being Dr. Caroline Cardenas, I mean, there's a level of credibility that comes with a doctorate and you've earned it, blood, sweat, and tears, right? So, you know, Dr. Cardenas can take her work anywhere she wants to. And mm -hmm. I can picture, you know, how there's people develop all sorts of theories. You know, we have all sorts of different types of nursing theories, you know, grand theories and et cetera. So there could be some theoretical work ahead of you that mm -hmm. comes out of, you know, years of experience and what you see you know, when you take this on the road and what you, what's fed back to you from people who encounter you. And speaking of books, I mentioned books, you're featured in a book called Grief on the Front Lines by Rachel Jones that came out in May of 2022, just recently. Can you very briefly tell us about that book and your contribution to it? That book is amazing. It's on Amazon. I think it's like a little less than $20. It's completely worth it. I mm -hmm. think that nurses, nurse, anybody who's interested in becoming a helping professional, anybody who is in nursing school, um, doctors, social workers, um, nurses really can benefit um, from reading this book. Um, they, uh, Rachel Jones is an incredible journalist who um, during the pandemic actually interviewed doctors, nurses, social workers um, about this this aspect of the enormous amount of grief that they witness the healthcare system and pretty much ripping off the band-aid of what healthcare professionals are grappling with within yes. the healthcare system and how the healthcare system is really failing um, healthcare professionals. It talks about um, nurse and physician suicide. It mm -hmm. talks about um, sort of how we are shaped by um, the experiences within our patients, but how the system doesn't necessarily allow us to um, grieve, um, to then be able to uh, create meaning around um, those that we've served, um, how it's not really part of our culture to do that. There's, not, there's no time to do that, how we really push and create more strain on helping professionals. Um, so it's an incredible book. And she featured she she interviewed me right when we were going through the pandemic um and and asked me you know about my master's thesis um and wanted to know what my experience was around um compassion fatigue and burnout and and the particular chapter she calls it empathic strain Hmm. Um, which I thought was interesting because I've never heard that term before. Nor have I. No. And I and I had to pause for a second because my knee jerk reaction was like, "Yeah, empathic empathic strain." And it's like, "Wait a minute, hold on." It's a little bit different. Compassion mm -hmm. fatigue and empathic strain, I would say, is 
different because mm-hmm. empathy is different and compassion are different. Mm-hmm. Empathy is I am able to imagine um, what you might be going through, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas compassion is I can feel a sense of empathy for what you're going through. And that is causing me mm-hmm. to want to, you know, um, express action towards relieving your suffering. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like an important book at this time. It's super in history. important. Super important. So she talked about, um, she also featured some of uh, myself and others um, that are doing unique things in the community for healthcare professionals to um, combat empathic strain, compassion fatigue, burnout, um, um, that um, she really wanted to call attention to. So it's a great book. That's it's a great read. So you were interviewed for the book. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. So Grief on the Front Lines by Rachel Jones, May 2022. Okay. So some people might want to look into that. It's on Amazon. So, and then eventually we'll have books by you on Amazon as well. So that that that's coming. Well, it's so, uh, that's that's a uh, a vision for it sure. Is, it is vision. So here's a question I already asked you, and I'm going to ask you again in all seriousness. I was kind of joking, but I actually really mean it. When can we actually call you doctor? Like when you just defended your dissertation, you have to do a couple quick revisions, you know, and then kind of have the final version submitted. When do you like graduate? And when can you call yourself a doctor? So I, during my dissertation um, defense was, my committee um, gave me what's called approval with minor edits. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the monumental task of defending my research or Mm -hmm. basically writing my lit review, conducting my research, and then writing about the results and making it ready enough to be able to defend that the hardest part is over. Um, and so now I'm just waiting on my committee to, um, circle back to me with, um, the minor edits that they're suggesting, which at this point is anything is easier than all of that, that I just, you know, accomplished. Um, And you had a baby (laughs) in the whole course of this and a raising a child. So just, yeah. 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 Oh, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Yeah. But within Um, like within the, within the year 2022, will you actually be able to have the title and actually say pretty yes? Pretty soon, I'm actually. Done? I just have to apply those minor edits and then receive what's called bindery, bindery approval mm-hmm. to bind my book. To bind Once it. I receive my bindery approval, which hopefully will be um, at the end of August yeah. of this year, um, once I receive that, then it technically everything is complete and I will. I am Dr. Caroline that's wonderful um, yeah and will so you pretty actually, soon yeah and will you actually walk in a graduation ceremony at some point i think Meridian? so you i think, think so? so especially now with things sort of changing around you know with um restrictions and whatnot but yeah. it's definitely something that meridian likes to emphasize is you know really um because it's such a symbolic moment mm-hmm. you know um sort of crossing I hope you that get threshold to do that. I, I, really, I do too i want to see you do that yeah. Thank you. That would be yeah. beautiful for you to yeah. have that experience. Yeah. Yeah. So before we go, and I really don't want to go, but we, we do have to finish up at some point, unfortunately. I have um, this series of four questions that I've started asking all my guests. And 
your answers may or may not relate directly to what we've been talking about, but they're they're good questions in that they elicit some really interesting responses. And we have to keep mm-hmm. them a little on the short side, but sure. um, even though you and I can go on, you know, forever, but that the first question is how do you define success personally and or professionally? I define success by experiencing um, a profound sense of joy from the work that I've done. Hmm. So that could be from the smallest of things to the largest of experiences, but it could be from a personal standpoint, working with a patient or a loved one um, to completing a dissertation. Um, Because I think that, you know, one of the things that I think is really important is this aspect of listening, this, you know, this capacity to listen, be a better listener. And I think that that's such a beautiful gift that you can offer somebody so that when I can be a good listener, I know I've been successful. So it can be as simple as something like that. Um, And of course you mentioned the, I'm sorry, of course you mentioned the word joy because that's so much about like where you're coming from that of course success for you has to have, it has to connect you with some sense of joy. Yeah. Sense of joy that I've done my best sense Mm. of joy that I, that all my hard work really helped to yield something beautiful or contributed to something um, as in, you know, uh, soothing suffering Mm. as in, um, providing presence as in, you know, it could be subtle or it could be overt, but I, I, I would say that my definition of success is feeling really, really, really good about, um, my contributions in that moment for whatever's happening. That's really lovely. Now, the second question is how would you describe one person who's inspired you in the course of your life, living or dead, famous or not famous? Anyone at all who comes to mind for you? Who inspires me? Yeah. Oh, this this person is, um, you know, safe, beautiful, uh, compassionate, loving, Mm. kind, caring, patient, empathic, um, and has a beautiful smile mm. and a, a very giving heart and an enormous amount of presence. You're describing yourself. I mean, that's oh, how I would describe God. you. <laughs> Is there someone in your life who you'd like to name who who fulfills those some of those characteristics? Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, my my mother, Grace. Grace. You know, she really taught me the gift of compassion and empathy mm. and kindness and care. And so, when I think about you know, how special she was in this physical world um, and the gifts that she offered me even in the short amount of time that of the 21 years that I had her in the physical realm as a mother, um, you know, she, she embodied all of that. Um, so, and she truly was grace, um, which, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a word nerd now after mm-hmm. writing a dissertation and yes. another word for grace is compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, this work, Um, is meaningful to me in that it's not just about play, 
it's 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 really about you know what we love what brings us joy um safe spaces um building our capacities utilizing our imagination allowing symbols and metaphors to really inform us and inspire us and connect us to a deeper sense of meaning mm-hmm. yeah beautiful okay so the next question is is there a book it could be a movie but i bet with you it's a book and it doesn't need to be an absolute favorite just one that's had a really major impact on the way you think or the way you live your life there's so many <laughs> yeah again just one out of the yes, many one. that that's like yeah that one that one really really did something for me well i just love i mean the prophet by khalil gibran mm-hmm. uh lebanese poet um who Mystic, yeah. yeah who just has a way with um helping us understand this profound sense of being human hmm. um and what we experience when it comes to our joys and our our sorrows and um you know our relationships with humans or with the environment um our place in our in this world um every time i come to his work i mean it's timeless but every time i read his poetry it's like my soul speaking it's mm-hmm. you know it's so pure and beautiful and inspiring and it always says something a little bit different to me or um or is a little bit more profound even when i step away from it for a long period of time and mm-hmm. come back to it and you even quoted him during your dissertation defense i must say i did i yeah. I, I uh a joy and uh, joy and sorrow is a beautiful mm-hmm. piece in there that i think um many people it would re- resonate with especially yeah. helping professionals the depths of your sorrow the heights of your joy yeah right yeah, it's a famous yeah. quote yeah so beautiful yeah. absolutely beautiful yeah. yeah yeah thank you and um the fourth and final question mm-hmm. and we already talked about 21 year old caroline who lost her mom grace but this is the question i've been asking my my guests is what's one piece of advice you'd give your 18 year old self so 18 year old caroline right now at this point in time whether you think she would actually listen or not that you will go through hard things in your life and though you have the option to help to transmute those hardships into creative action mm-hmm. and to believe in yourself and to keep going um and to never stop believing in what it is that your your soul's longing is asking you to go towards so transform hardships into creative action Yes. Isn't that the story of your life in a way? I, you know, it, 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 <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, if anything, I, I really want to try and bring a sense of hope for helping professionals, for nurses, for really anyone um, who's experiencing um, grief, sorrow, difficulties, tragedies, um, and help them see that you know that we got to we got to hang on and we 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 got to keep 
keeping on. Um, that even in our mo- most profound sense of loss and grief, that we have to hold on to the hope of what is to come after the storm passes. And the storm will pass. Um, as hard as that may sound when one experiences an enormous amount of grief, the profundity of loss, um, the storm does pass. And what's on the other side of that with all the capacity that one builds through the storm and through the hardships is really quite profound and can be very beautiful. And you bring your capacities with you to meet those places to then help others. I mean, at least that's my own bias. Right. That's the way that I choose to view the world um, and view my experience. And I, you know, fortunately have a positive, you know, um, a a, a beautiful story to to tell. Um, You know, I've cried a lot. This is one of the hardest things I've ever done. The loss of my mother was incredibly painful. You know, um, I've experienced a lot of. um, People letting me down, um, adults letting me down, elders letting me down, um, experiencing grief on my own. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just want to say, hang on, keep on keeping on. And and, um, the storm at some point will yield something and maybe perhaps it might be a rainbow, but you've got to hang on to to see if it's going to appear. That's true. And that advice you're giving 18-year-old Caroline right now is, I think, something anyone listening right now can carry with them. So thank you for sharing that. And thanks for playing along with these four questions. And, and also just thanks for being on the show again. This isn't the last time, of course. And But this is a profound moment. You know, I didn't know you when you finished your master's thesis. Um, we got connected we actually just reached out to me and called me and that was great. And we became friends, um, not, you know, quite a few years ago now, but this moment of finishing your PhD and this amazing, like you said, monumental accomplishment. I just want to say for the record, you know, recording right now that I am profoundly moved and, and so incredibly proud of you as your friend and your colleague and to have watched you, go through this process has been amazing. And I've felt a lot of pain for you because I know how hard it's been from, you know, my viewpoint as a friend and I'm just incredibly proud. And I really look forward to knowing that I can call you Dr. Caroline Gardner. So that (laughs) is coming very soon. And thank you so, so much for taking the time. This has been so wonderful. Well, thank you. And I just love the work you're doing with your podcast and really bringing forward a lot of um, in beautiful and necessary information and tough information that really needs to be said and put out there. And you're, you're, you're having people on your show that are sharing so much of, of what's necessary right now to help support nurses and helping professionals um, with everything that we're grappling with. So I'm really grateful for the hard work you're doing. Um, this is not an easy thing. Um, there's a lot of background stuff that, you know, that, that a lot of people don't know that it needs to happen in order for these moments to come forward. And so I'm grateful that, you know, that, that you're doing this and that you've remained committed to your, um, 
you know, your beautiful podcast and that it's reaching so many people in, in such a impactful and positive way. So, so thank thank you. you. Thank you so much. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this wonderful episode of the Nurse Keith Show. Remember, the show notes can be found over on nursekeith.com or any app where you're accessing the show. Please check out Caroline at thehulahoopgirl.com to see the work she's done there. And actually, you can find her master's thesis there. I hope you feel uplifted and empowered and you feel joyful from this episode and I encourage you to take inspired action every day in the interest of your personal and professional satisfaction and development. If you need personalized holistic career coaching, please consider nursekeith.com. Look me up, shoot me an email at keith at nursekeith.com, mention the show and get 10% off your first coaching package and consider becoming a patron over at Patreon. I'd really appreciate it. We're a proud member of the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com. We're adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting and Mark Cappiespeason is our stalwart social media ringmaster and newsletter wrangler. Before we say goodbye, I'll leave you with this quote by the musician of Robert Fripp. May my living honor my parents. May my living repay the debt of my existence. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. And my very, very dear friend, Caroline Cardenas saying aloha from... Hawaii. From Hawaii. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you to everyone for listening and we will catch you on the proverbial flip side. Mm-hmm.